We live by blood. It's what keeps us going. You have in your body between four and a half to six liters of that syrupy red substance called blood. It oxygenates your tissues. It takes away waste. It regulates body temperature. But though it's vital, though we need it, though we live by blood, we don't like to see it very much. Now, I love watching the surgery channel. I love it. That's my background. I love to see all of that bloody, gory stuff. It excites me. You say, "Uh uh-oh, something's wrong with that guy. It's just what I studied. It's, It's enjoyable. Now, if I'm watching that on television and my wife walks in, I know she's in the room. Oh, yuck. Turn the channel. Get rid of that. It's gory. It's gross. It makes some people faint. I've watched patients see their own blood and faint. The Jewish nation, however, was very familiar with blood. Not just knowing about it, but seeing it. It was very visual. The Passover was filled with blood. The very season of which we commemorate these elements speak of the broken body and the shed blood. So every Passover, it was commemorating the time when the death angel passed over the children of Israel and God delivered them out of Egypt. And it was a symbol using blood on the lintels and the doorposts of the houses. At the time of the Passover in Jerusalem, lambs were slain. It was visual. Josephus tells us that during one of the Passovers around the time of Christ, we don't know exactly what year, but they slaughtered at the Temple Mount 156,000 lambs, which would service about two and a half million people, residents of Jerusalem and visitors. The lambs were killed on the 14th day of Nisan in the Jewish calendar, in the afternoon, in a two-hour period. Hundreds of priests attended to it. About two lambs every minute were being slaughtered. Necks were being severed open. Blood was being drained. And the sacrifices were being made. And we're even told that there was a conduit that ran from that temple on the Temple Mount underneath the Temple Mount, out into the Kidron Valley. So if you and I were in Jerusalem a couple of thousand years ago, you would literally see a river of blood flowing around Jerusalem. It was a reminder of the cost of sin, the cost of the atonement for sin. Well, we want to look at a passage today in Luke chapter 22. And as you're turning to Luke chapter 22, I'm going to read you a little story. It's called The Musings of a Shepherd. Now picture a shepherd raising lambs for slaughter. And by the way, you know where they raise the lambs for slaughter? In Bethlehem, just a few miles away. Imagine being a shepherd in Bethlehem, raising sheep and seeing people come to the temple every year. Here's his musings. He sits on the slope and places a blade of grass in his mouth. He looks beyond the flock at the road below. For the first time in days, 
The traffic is thin. For over a week, a river of pilgrims has streamed through this valley, bustling down the road with animals and loaded carts. For days he has watched them from his perch. Though he couldn't hear them, he knew they were speaking a dozen different dialects. And though he didn't talk to them, he knew where they were going and why. They were going to Jerusalem. They were going to sacrifice lambs in the temple. The celebration strikes him as ironic. Streets jammed with people, marketplaces full of the sounds of bleeding of goats and the selling of birds, endless observances. The people relish the festivities. They awaken early and they retire late. And they find strange fulfillment in this pageantry. Not him. What kind of God would be appeased by the death of any animal? Oh, the shepherd's doubts are never voiced anywhere except on the hillside. But on this day they shout. It isn't the slaughter of the animals that disturbs him. It's the endlessness of it all. How many years has he seen people come and go? How many caravans? How many sacrifices? How many bloody carcasses? Memories stalk him. Memories of uncontrolled anger, uncontrolled desire, uncontrolled anxiety. So many mistakes, so many stumbles, so much guilt. God seems so far away. Lamb after lamb, Passover after Passover, Yet I still feel the same, he says. He turns his head and he looks against the sky. Will the blood of yet another lamb really matter? Will it? Only one lamb. The lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. That's the only lamb that will really matter. So today, briefly, before we take these elements together, I want you to consider with me the setting of the Passover and the significance of that particular Passover. Now, all four Gospels mention this, but let me take you to chapter 22 of Luke. And let's pick it up in verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat. The day of the Jewish calendar, as I said, is the 14th day of Nisan. The lamb was selected on the 10th, kept at home, nurtured and loved for a few days, and then killed on the 14th day. It was a Thursday. According to two sources, and I think you'll find this interesting, according to two sources, the Mishnah, the Jewish Mishnah, and the writings of Josephus, a Jewish historian, there were two calendars that were kept among the Jews. One calendar was kept by those who lived in the north, in Israel, in the north, including the Galileans. The second calendar was kept by those who lived in Judea in the south. Those who lived in the north began their day from sunrise to sunrise. Those in Judea 
and now all of Judaism begins their day at sunset to sunset. Now this was especially helpful at Passover when you had so many people coming from so many places and you had to do this thing in shifts. This explains the problem we find in the Gospels. The problem is how can Jesus eat the Passover one night and then be arrested? And then the next day in John chapter 18, it says the Jews were afraid of being defiled so that they might eat the Passover. Well, how could they want to eat the Passover in the future when Jesus just ate it the night before? And now the solution is clear. The Galileans, 14th of Nisan was on a Thursday for those in Jerusalem, it began sunset Thursday all the way through Friday until Friday evening. That's how Jesus can celebrate the Passover with his disciples, being from the north, being from Galilee. Those down south can await the eating of the Passover on Friday. And we're even told that when Jesus was crucified on that Friday, the lambs were being slaughtered at that very moment in time in the temple for those in Judea. Well, there were a lot of preparations as we read here. Go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat. And it goes on to say, So they said to him, Where do you want us to prepare? And he said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. That was unusual. Usually the gals did it. Follow him into the house which he enters. So it would be very plain. Then you shall say to the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room that I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large furnished upper room there, make ready. So they went and found it just as he said to them, and they prepared the Passover. People from all over the world came to Passover. All over the world. It was always a Jew's desire they would say at the end of every Passover next year in Jerusalem, it was the hope of every Jew to celebrate at least one time Passover in the holy city. So preparations were made. Pilgrims flowed in, and most of the people wanted to stay as close to the Temple Mount as they could. People that lived in Jerusalem would open up their homes, and it was stipulated by Jewish law, you couldn't charge them rent. You had to open up your home and let them stay for free with you to enjoy good Jewish Jerusalem hospitality. And the preparations were extensive. Four weeks before, in the synagogues, there was teaching on the meaning of the Passover so that people would be spiritually prepared. Four weeks in the home, there was preparation as the mom would sew up the special Passover festal garments. A week before, they would... Make sure all the leaven is out of the house, all the pots and pans are scrubbed, and the night before Passover, they had what they called bedichat chometz, the search for the leaven, which became a ritual in the Jewish home to purge all symbolic evil out of the home. Well, by the time of Jesus, there was an established order of service called a seder, and they would recline on a triclinium. I know you've seen the picture the famous one by Leonardo da Vinci, where it shows all of the disciples sitting on one side of the table, sitting up in chairs, and they're all sort of leaning in, like posing for the picture. And Leonardo did us a great service with many things. He was a great painter, but he was not a good historian in this. 
because they didn't do that. They reclined. They laid down. It was a leisurely meal. And it's because we're free men. And as free men, we recline. We have no place to go. If we were slaves, we would stand. But we're free, so we recline. The preparations were made. The upper room was furnished. The lamb that had been sacrificed for Jesus and his disciples was then roasted and prepared for the evening meal. And then the text continues with the observation of the Passover itself. When the hour had come, verse 14, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. And he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup. He gave thanks. He said, take and divide this among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. It was a long meal. It was a leisurely meal. It took several hours. And in the meal, there were four glasses of wine. It could even be that the wine was heated, warmed, to emulate fresh blood of a lamb so that when people would drink the wine in the Passover, it would be warm wine that would remind them very, very much of the blood of a lamb that was slain for them. The third glass of wine was the cup of redemption. It was raised and then it was partaken of among all the guests. It was at that third cup of redemption, not before and not after, that Jesus then said, this refers to me, not some lamb in Egypt, not some lamb in the temple. All of that was prophetic and indicative of me. Then they would take bread, unleavened bread, a cracker called the afikom, and it was split in two already, and those pieces were distributed as people would celebrate the Passover. Jesus then said this, and here's the real statement, here's the center core of it. He took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and said to them, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. I sort of wish that we had never heard those words before today. Only because... We've heard them so many times for so many years. They have lost the impact. And I'm sure at this point, the disciples were dropping their jaws. They'd never heard those words before. They had Passover. They knew that God delivered them from Egypt. That was symbolic of those lambs that were slain. And we keep that in perpetuity of memory. Jesus is saying, the focus is off of that. That's over this is for my sacrifice, my broken body, for your sin and my shed blood. All of that pageantry is not referring to another lamb, but this lamb, me, the lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. That's the setting of the Passover. Think briefly now of the significance of that particular Passover. The significance was around the death of a lamb, and the preeminence of Jesus' death. He said, this is my body, which is given for you. 
This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. The last meal that Jesus shared with his disciples before the crucifixion was a meal where he deliberately wanted them to focus and then repeat that focus often of the death of himself, which would be in a few short hours. They were to repeat that and remember that. And it was the preeminence of his death. It wasn't his body alive. It was his body broken. It wasn't the blood coursing in his veins that they were to commemorate, but the blood which is shed for you. It was all about the death of Jesus Christ. It goes without saying, probably especially to this crowd, without the cross, there is no Christianity. You take the cross away from any church, and I'm not talking about the icon of the cross, but the message of the cross, and you have no message. Without the cross, you have no Christianity. And yet, all over our country for years now, churches, even so-called evangelical churches, are draining the blood from its services. It's so offensive. Don't mention the blood of Jesus. Oh, that's so old and offensive. Charles Spurgeon remarked on that years ago. It was happening then. He said, there are some preachers who do not preach on the blood of Jesus Christ. I have one thing to say concerning them. Never go and hear them. Never listen to them. Because he said, Christianity or any religious system devoid of the blood of Christ is dead and lifeless and will do no one no good. So, the glass is lifted. Do this in remembrance of me is spoken. In verse 20, the purpose of Jesus' death is given. He took the cup. This cup, listen to this, is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. The purpose of the death of Christ was to institute a new deal, a new covenant, a new arrangement whereby man will approach God. In the Old Testament, in Exodus 24, Moses took blood and sprinkled it on people and said, this is the blood of the covenant. But you remember what happened. They keep, kept breaking the covenant, didn't they? Like every day for years and years and years. Till finally God said through Jeremiah in chapter 31, Behold, the days are coming, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the house of Judah. It won't be like the old covenant which you had when you came out of Egypt. It will be new. I'll write my law in your hearts and on your minds. It'll be a brand new covenant. What Jesus is basically saying is, this is it. This is it. All that you have heard about, prophesied about this new covenant, I'm telling you now, I'm the one. This is it. This death is my death. And that is the significance of it. And then finally, I want you to notice before we close and take these elements because they speak into that very reason why we're here, is the personalization of it. Let me just emphasize it for you in verse 15. With fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with 
you before I suffer. Verse 17, he took the cup, gave thanks, and said, take this and divide it among yourselves. You see, this was not an actor on stage with an audience who were watching Jesus Christ say and do these things. He shared it with them. There was an interaction. It's one thing to have um, broken crackers and four glasses of wine, but people have to drink them and eat it. In Passover, you interact. You can have the shed blood of Jesus Christ upon the cross and you can speak about His broken body, but until you and I actually personalize it and partake of that, we have no life in us. Jesus said in John 6, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. That means unless you actually personalize it and make it your own experience, you have no spiritual life. So there's that personalization of it. Jesus said, as many as received Him, He gave them the right to become children of God. We can hear this message and we can take these elements. But until we have actually taken Christ and applied His blood to our sins and His life in our death and separation from God, it's pageantry, it's ritual, it's will the blood of another lamb really matter? Answer, it won't really matter if it's just another lamb. But we sing, don't we? What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That lamb really matters. This came out of Decision Magazine, Billy Graham's publication. The author says, I remember when I was five or six years old, having a big writing tablet on which I could do block printing. One day, I took a sheet of tablet paper, folded it in half, and wrote, I love you on the inside. I put my dad's name on the outside, covered the sheet with hearts, and set it on his dresser. I made a valentine for him, and it wasn't even Valentine's Day. Eagerly, I anticipated what I thought would be an enthusiastic response. It never came. The next afternoon, I discovered the valentine in the wastebasket. This has to be a mistake, I thought. He must not have seen it. I lifted the valentine from the trash and carefully stood it in the center of his dresser. My heart was pounding the next day when I checked the wastebasket. It was there again. Only this time, it was crumpled with some other papers. He must not have liked it, I thought, or... Maybe he didn't see it. I smoothed out the creases as best as I could and placed the valentine on his dresser once more. I made sure that it was very conspicuous so that this time he would see it. The next day, Dad called to me or called me into him. I remember feeling very shy. Will you quit putting that note on my dresser, he demanded. I already know that you love me. It's got to be one of the saddest things I've ever heard. I'm giving you my heart, Daddy. I'm giving you my valentine. I don't want it. I already know that stuff. Don't bother me. God has given us His valentine, and we celebrate that today. The broken body, the shed blood that these elements represent, 
commemorate the broken heart of the Father and loving us enough to give the best His Son. How many people will hear the message and say, I've heard all that. I know Jesus loves me, died for my sins. They don't accept the Valentine. It's not precious to them. You're here because it's precious to you. This day is precious to you because of what this day signifies. I'm going to ask the uh, communion board to come up as we pray and we'll distribute these elements and let's take them as we all take them together and not before. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the opportunity to be together as a flock, your flock, your little lambs whom you love so dearly. And we're so grateful that we don't have to die for our sins. We should. We deserve it. It would be perfectly just and righteous for us to die eternally separated from You because of what we have done. But Your rescue operation, Your Passover, Your Valentine included the gift of Your Son who would give His life so that we would never have to lose ours eternally. Thank You. And we personalize it. We take these elements, much as the disciples took those Passover elements, the third glass of redemption, the afikoman cracker that was passed around. We take these elements and we do it reminding ourselves that were it not for that sacrifice, we couldn't be children of God. But we're accepted. A new covenant based upon that single act that if we call upon you ensures forgiveness. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for going to the cross. Thank you for wrestling in Gethsemane, clawing its dirty ground and then resolving, not my will but thine be done. Thank you. Lord, you know our failures. They are so many you know that we follow you so imperfectly. But you know our hearts, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you'd cleanse, you'd extend forgiveness. We think of sins that we've committed even today and we ask you just to wash, cleanse. Father, for anyone who would be here who has come but hasn't yet personally received that lamb as their lamb, the Lamb that takes away their sins. I pray that right now they would do it. Right here. And as we're praying, if you're here and you feel like my heart isn't right with God, I haven't made this personal. It's been outward to me. It's been pageantry to me. It's been ritual thus far. Then right now, would you just say from your heart, simply but fervently, with contriteness, something like this to the Lord. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. I put my trust in Jesus Christ, your Son, who died for me and rose from the dead for me. I turn from my sins. I turn from my past. I turn to you. I turn my life to you. Forgive me. Quicken me, enliven me. 
by your shed blood. In Jesus' name.